Oh, good morning. A, uh, a minister of a church was invited to attend his youth group camp. And while he was there, one of the young people, uh, a real uh, up-and-comer in the church and a real leader among the youth, asked if she could speak to him. And they sat down and chatted for a bit. And she said, I know I'm a Christian. I try and live the Christian life. I try and stay away from the things I should stay away from and be involved in the things of God. But when I pray, there's no reality in it for me. I don't sense God's presence and I don't feel close. What can I do? It's a good question. Isn't that a place where we have all probably been at some point in our life? We all want to be close to God. We all want to sense his presence in our life. Well, this morning, I want to suggest to you that the Bible teaches us that you are as close to God as you choose to be. Now, I've heard this topic spoken on a number of times in different locations and in a number of books. Uh, more recently, I've seen it in a book by J. Oswald Sanders and also in a talk by the Reverend John North. And the talk by John was uh, quite impactful for me. And so this morning, I want to pass on some of the points that uh, he shared with me. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of James and uh, we're going to look at that again today. And we're going to look at one, one verse and just one sentence in that verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see what that verse is saying? It is we, not God, who determines our level of intimacy with him. Now you might be saying, well, hey, I, feel, I thought it was all God. Well, in one sense it is. But think of this. God has already done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, removing that barrier of guilt that separates us from him, allowing God to remain just, but also welcome us into his family. Every day, God reaches into our lives. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we're even closer to God. There's nothing waiting from God's side of the equation. As Sanders himself puts it, although there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, when it comes to the point, we're not prepared to pay the price involved and so we settle for a less demanding level of Christian living. To illustrate this point today, I want to look at two books of the Bible from the start of the Bible early on, the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Exodus, for those that aren't fully across that book, Exodus talks about the nation of Israel, the Israelites, when they are slaves in Egypt, then they're released and they walk around the desert for a number of years with their leader, Moses. The book of Deuteronomy is a set of four talks that Moses gave to the Israelite people. And all the examples he used in his talk are the experiences they had in Exodus. So sometimes when we read Exodus, we can think, oh, what happened between there and there? I'm not really sure. The book of Deuteronomy can help plug those gaps. So often they're two good books to look at together. So where are we in this story? The Israelites have left Egypt. They're wandering around the desert. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've spent 400 years in Egypt. 400 years. About 10 generations. Do you think that's enough time for the Egyptian culture, the pagan way of living, to seep into the Israelite way of living? So God wants to do something special for his people. So he takes them to Mount Sinai 
And when he's there, he wants to give them his Ten Commandments and give them his law. And we're going to see that as the group approaches the mountain, different groups go different distances up the mountain and therefore have different interactions with God. And all I want to do this morning is just draw it. There's a few principles that you and I can take away from what we see and hear. So Moses went back and summoned the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. But then God says to Moses, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful they do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the foot, uh, touches the mountain is to be put to death. Well, that's a little bit confusing. So they've all said, we're going to obey God and do everything he says, but then God says, okay, but don't let them up. What's happened in between? Well, we look at Deuteronomy. The people say to Moses, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of our God any longer. So Moses, you go near. You go test this out for us. We're not going to go up there. You go do it. And then you listen to what God has to say and you tell us whatever God tells you. Why was this first group left in the first sort of circle? They were in the first circle. They were kept off the mountain because they did not want to get any nearer. They didn't want to get any closer to God. They were afraid of what exposure to him might do. When you look around the world, this is where a large number of people in our societies live when it comes to a relationship with God. They're happy for you to go near, they're happy for you to go to church or for you to read your Bible, you to pray, that's fine, but just don't push that on me. You can keep that for yourself. We look at the second group. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the mountain, you and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. Moses and the 70 elders went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was like a pavement of sapphire. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders. They saw God and they ate and drank. How much greater is their exposure to God? They saw God with this pavement of sapphire under his feet. How incredible is that? But they are to worship at a distance. They are to worship from afar. They would have this experience, this reality of God, but their worship would be distant. Why is that? The reason they're in this second circle was because they did not allow their exposure to God to make any lasting difference in their life. Just two chapters later, these are the very leaders, the very elders who lead the nation of Israel in forming the golden calf statue. They've just sat in God's presence and seen him. They've ate and drank right with him. And they come down the mountain and they form an idol in the shape of the idols of Egypt. Don't you know that that's where a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus sit? We're not like that first group that don't want to come near. We have so much more exposure to God. Every week we come here to church, 
every week in our small group or Bible study or D team, whatever it might be, our exposure to him is greater. We're learning and understanding more and more and deeper and deeper. But what difference is it actually making in our lives? The leaders of the nation of Israel, they knew this book back to front, but they didn't know God. How long do we sit in God's presence, our understanding of him getting deeper and deeper, while we hold on to our self-directed way of living? And we're frustrated. Why am I not growing deeper? Let's have a look at the third group. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and the Ten Commandments. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can come to them. The mountain path is getting steeper and the numbers start dwindling. There's only two left now. Joshua and Moses. Now, in a little bit, we're going to look at Moses and see why he was in that final group. But what was it about Joshua that qualified him to go further up the mountain and to be uh, Moses' right-hand man? Well, we read, Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So they wander around the desert and whenever they stop, they pitch up all their tents and just outside the camp, they put another tent on its own a bit, far, a bit further out. Anyone that wanted to interact with God would go out to that tent. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, the presence of God would descend over the tent like a cloud coming and covering it up. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his aide, Joshua, a young man, did not leave the tent. Okay, so here's the picture. The Israelites are in Egypt. They get released. They're walking around. Numbers estimate between a few hundred thousand Israelites up to six million Israelites. There were so many of them The Egyptians were scared they'd be overthrown by their own slaves. Do you know what the leadership structure was of the nation of Israel at this time? Here's Moses. Here's six million people. I mean, you think about that from the size of a city, a small city. One person in charge of all the decisions, all the issues. Of course, Moses starts getting frustrated. He's pulling his hair out. His father-in-law comes to him and says, Moses you're not going to make it. You need to delegate. So his father-in-law helps him set up this system of delegation where there's one person responsible over 10 and one over 50 and so on and so on. And Moses, he's a bit like the Supreme Court. He's the very top. Only the really important, hard issues go all the way up to him. In this new structure for the nation of Israel, do you know who Moses' right-hand man was? Who his personal secretary was? Joshua. If any of you have ever worked in an office, you know who does the bulk of the hard work. There's no internet, there's no email, there's no phones. Joshua will be running over to that group, running over to meet with those elders, running over here, fixing that dispute, going back to report to Moses, 
run back over here, run over there. But whenever his tasks were finished for the day, you would see Joshua making his way back out to the tent of meeting. What was the key that took Joshua to this third circle? It's the same key to take you and me there. Time with God. Joshua wanted to be there when the presence of God descended on the tent. He wanted to be there when Moses was there. He wanted to be there when Moses was gone. He wanted to be there where God was. And to move forward in your spiritual life, you need to spend time with God. It is impossible to have any real deep relationship without time together. I mean, you think about any relationship you have with a friend or family member that's growing deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger with no time spent together. It is impossible. That's not how relationships work, and it's the same with God. Some time ago, I read a a study which talked about how a typical Christian spends their lifespan, and they use 70 years as what the life would look like. So in our life, what do we spend most of our time doing? Sleeping. 23 years of our life sleeping, oblivious to everything happening around us. We spend 16 years working. We spend eight years watching TV. It's more than 10% of your life. This is one I think the guys probably push up the list a little bit more. We spend six years eating. We spend six years travelling. Holidays, in the car to work, those kind of things. We spend four and a half years leisure, our hobbies, doing the things we like to do. We spend four years of our life being sick. This is one I think the girls probably bump up the list a little bit. We spend two years getting dressed. (laughs) And the guys spend two years waiting for the girl. (laughs) Final category, religion. Half a year. We wonder why we are struggling in our spiritual life. If you are not spending significant time with God on a relational level, then don't wonder. Don't make an appointment with your pastors and say, why am I not growing closer to God? If you're not spending quality time with God, to be perfectly blunt, you and I will stay in that second circle of intimacy for the rest of your lives. Now, we do something with all of our life, or all the time in our life, whether it's eating, TV, holiday, sick, whatever. We do something with all of our time. If I had a pillowcase up here, which was our life, and we put things in it that represented things we do with our time, where we might put in a steering wheel for driving, we might put some books in if you're studying, some food, whatever it might be. But whatever we put in there, what is true of that pillowcase? It is full. So... If we are going to spend more time with God, what are we going to have to do? Take something out of the pillowcase. What are you going to take out? Well, we come to the final group, the final level. And so Moses went up the mountain, and when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, 
Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because of his speaking with God. He told the elders all that God had spoken to him. When he finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses spoke with God, he would take the veil off. We can't imagine, can we, what that exposure to God was like, that God's presence rubbed off on Moses. What was the key to this inner circle? What was the key to the relationship between Moses and God? Deep desire. A deep, deep desire. We read this bit earlier on. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Imagine that was a statement about your life. I mean, you can pop your name in there. The Lord used to speak to you face to face as a man speaks to a friend. You think you'd be pretty happy with that relationship then? Think you'd be pretty satisfied? Not Moses. Two verses later, he says this to God. I pray then, if I have found favour in your sight, let me know your ways so that I may know you. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Moses, what do you want? You already speak to God face to face like a friend speaks to you. Your face shines because God rubs off on you. What else do you want? And Moses says, I don't know, but I've got to have more of it. I've got to know God more. That's who God gets close to. Joshua, who wouldn't leave the tent. Moses, who was never satisfied with what he knew about God. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had different groups and circles around him too. There were the 120 disciples who didn't leave their jobs and everything, but they were disciples, they followed and listened to Jesus' teaching. Then there were the 12, that we know, the 12 disciples, and they went everywhere, left their jobs and followed him. Then within the 12, there were three who were closer than all the rest. Who were they? Peter, James and John. So much of Jesus' best-known teaching in the Bible was only taught to Peter, James and John. Then within that three, there was one who was closer than all the rest. That was John. Sometimes the Bible refers to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What was the key to their intimacy? What was the key to them being close to Jesus? Sometimes we think getting close to God means it's perfection. I've got all the issues in my life worked out and then I can come close to God or Jesus. Peter, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. James and John, they came secretly to Jesus and said, when you come back to rule everything, can we have the positions of honour on your left and right hand side? Well, maybe it's not perfection, but we often think it's people of a certain personality or a certain temperament who gets close to God. We can have this mental picture that they're quietly spoken, head bowed down, always carrying their Bible everywhere. Moses, he had struggles with self-doubt and inadequacies. Peter, he had no filter. Anything that came into his mind, he just blurted it out. He's the kind of person that would take one foot out of his mouth and just stick the other one right in. James and John, Jesus said to them, I'm going to give you boys nicknames. They were thought this sounds pretty cool. He called Peter the Rock. What's he going to call us? He said, I'm going to call you boys Boanerges. Great. What's that mean? It means sons of thunder because of their temper. One time, they went into a small town for some food and the people in the town said, you two get out of here, we don't want you here. 
they came back to Jesus absolutely fuming. And they said, should we call down fire from heaven and wipe the whole town out? Not the meek, mild, gentle that we might assume. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, someone who has just been searching, or someone hasn't really explored God in a relational level at all, these principles ring true for all of us. The inner circle, a deep desire. Then you might say, Philip, and I desire it. Do you desire it if it means getting up just a little bit earlier to spend some time with God? Do you desire it if it means turning off that TV program that you know God's not happy with you watching? Do you desire it? Do you desire it? Do you desire it if it means forgiving that person that hurt you so? God is ready. God is waiting. And you are as close to God as you choose to be.